0: First Peter, chapter three and Matthew, chapter 20. You guys want to jump right in this morning? Go right to the text. All right. First Peter, chapter three, verse one says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. All right, then. Look at the time. I was like, oh, somebody's leaving already. No, she's going to get her her notes. At Calvary Chapel, what we do is we go verse by verse through the Bible. Through the parts that are easy and make you all warm and fuzzy. And the parts that make you go, what? We go verse by verse. So you can pretty much count on it. That means that there's going to be days like today where I'm like, lucky me. (laughs) Actually, I think you're going to find, again, if we'll come before him as king and say, okay, Lord, you're the king. I believe you, so I'm going I'm to do what you say. I think you'll find that there's awesome, practical, helpful things in this Scripture. For both, listen, both wives and husbands. And by the way, maybe some of you are already tempted to check out. I'm not either one. And I've seen enough tragedy that I'm not planning on getting married. Well, these principles are universal. So please... Do yourself a favor. Do the church a favor. Do the the community around you a favor, and listen. And look for ways. Say, Lord, how would you have me apply this message? Okay, First Peter chapter three verse one. Maybe you've heard it said that a text without its context is just a pretext. You heard that before? Okay, you heard it now. A text without a context is just a pretext. This verse, I. illustrates that idea exactly and perfectly. See, some husbands use this text without its context as a pretext. Some husbands only have this verse memorized. Some of you guys are doing it right now. Let's see. First Peter chapter three, verse one. That might come in handy someday. Listen, if that's you, please notice the context. If you've been with us, it should be obvious. What have we been learning about? In most of chapter two, chapter two, beginning of verse 12, we started this. I'm actually calling it a series. I'm not one to usually find a series in in the text, but it seems pretty obvious, easy to find on this one. Series called Winsome Evangelism. How do you remember a few weeks back? How do you win some citizens by being a winsome citizen? And how do you win some fellow employees and more amazingly, perhaps your employer, by being a winsome, useful servant. And in both cases, you, be, you are winsome by way of submission. Remember? Submission to civil authorities, in verses 12 through uh, 17. Submission to your employer or your master, your boss, in verses 18 through 25. See, this is all about win, winning some. So now we come to chapter three, verse one, and it's all about how to win your spouse through the same strategy, submission. See, this is a continuing thought. And that's why he uses the word. If you see it in chapter three, verse one, you see that word likewise. Matter of fact, how much you guys normally love it when when I have you say words when we go through the scriptures, right? Yeah. yeah. We'll see if that's still true. OK, here we go. Like, uh, verse three, I'm going to say wives and all you wives say likewise. Ready? Uh, therefore, wives be submissive to your own husbands. And you're like, oh, come on. Verse seven, guys, you read it. Husbands. There it is. It's the same deal. We all have a part in this winsome behavior. OK. Now, some of you are very astute and you're going, wait a second, uh-uh. There's six verses for the girls and one verse for the guys. What's up with that? That was easy. Moms can multitask. <laughs> right? Cook, homeschool, blog, coupon, run a business, all that stuff. Guys are, guys are not wired that way. Truly, I mean, we focus on one thing at a time, right? I was listening to... a. A video this week talking about how uh, women and men, they're they're wired different. And uh, the guy on there, he's he's really funny. He says, wives, do yourself a favor. If your husband is doing anything, I mean, looking at the computer, reading the paper, if he's doing anything, do not relate to him critical information without getting his attention, his focus, right? The point is, though, that there is a likewise for both parties. Okay, that's important to see as we go into this. The idea all along has been winsome behavior. Right? And more importantly, how is winsome behavior displayed? But how about this? How is it tested? How is it proven? You saw it in verses 12 through 17. A winsome citizen is tested or proven even under a king like Nero. A winsome servant is even under a harsh master. You saw that in those verses previous. And now, to be a winsome spouse, we're called to be even in less than ideal circumstances. So, Peter speaks first to wives. Verse 1, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands. There's that dirty word again. Submissive, we keep seeing it. It seems to be inextricably linked to winsome behavior. Submission. Again, some of you are probably growing tired of it, but the word is hupotasso. In military terms, it means to line up in rank, to get behind someone. In non-military verbiage, it means the attitude of cheerful compliance, cooperation, help. Now, again, please do your very best not to tune out. Some of us uh, are conditioned, I think, to tune out because of what we think that word means, submission. Reminded of a story, Franklin Roosevelt apparently grew so tired of the uh, the reception lines where he had to, you know, shake people's hands and they it was just always the same thing. So he he did one apparently one uh, evening, did a little experiment and everybody that would come, he would say, I killed my grandmother this morning. And they would say, fine job, sir. (laughs) Wonderful job. We're so proud of you. All of them all down the road until finally the uh, apparently the uh, ambassador from Bolivia actually heard him and said, well, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) The point is, you can tune out and think, you know, what's going to be said. Maybe your view. uh, I'm not sure if I would recommend this, but I I did uh, just as a way to study a little bit. I googled the words wives wives. Vow, obey. You can imagine what came up. Um, On one blog, I found a statement that's probably pretty typical of most people that start to glaze over when they hear that word submission. Uh, This is from Jonathan. He says, I would not expect any wife to promise to obey or submit to me. It It denotes inferiority and demeans and degrades her. She is saying, because I am a woman, my views and my judgment are less valid and less sound than yours. If that's what you think, You don't understand biblical submission. Nothing could be further from the truth in biblical submission. I always try to look for, if I can, the quickest way to illustrate a point. I think this is the one. How many of you, and if you're an Orthodox Christian, if you believe the Bible, you only have one answer to this question. How many of you? think that Jesus is in any way less than God, the father. If you raise your hand, you're a heretic. (laughs) Jesus is in no way less than God, the father. Philippians 2 says that he considered it not robbery to be called equal with God. The idea is that, look, from the beginning... He is. He was God. John chapter one says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, Established. But Philippians two goes on to say, but he humbled himself and he submitted. And he lowered himself, became obedient even to the point of death. He came, became so obedient. That he said to the father in Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. Obedient to the point of death, right? Here's my point. This, if you take nothing else away from this, please understand this. Submission is not a dirty, demeaning word. It's a noble, redeeming word. See, that's Peter's point right here. It's a noble, redeeming word. And as a matter of fact, he says, look, it's winsome. That's been our theme, right? Look at it, First uh, Peter, 3, verse chapter three, verse one. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. It's winsome. Verse two, when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear. Peter is addressing very specifically here, and again, the, the applications are universal. So don't don't get uh, Don't dismiss it if you're not a wife. okay? but he's he's addressing what I believe is a very specifically one of the most difficult assignments that I can imagine as a Christian to be the believing wife of a man who does not obey the word. So this would include, of course, the unbelieving husband who doesn't even pretend to obey it, but also this would include the, the backslidden, the carnal Christian who says he gets it in his head, but he refuses to obey. Y'all, that is a difficult road to home. And in case you, you wonder why preachers like me get up and say, ladies, don't marry that guy because he's not a Christian. And you're like, buzzkill. This is why. Because it's such a difficult thing. If you do that, you are asking for heartache. But then sometimes, though, it's two unbelievers that get married and one gets saved before the other. So either way, whether it's because of your own disobedience at an earlier time or because you were saved after your wedding day and your husband or your your wife, your spouse wasn't, what do you do? Well, many would say, just get out. It's interesting to me, actually, that many of those uh, who do get married to unbelievers when the Bible says no, then they turn around and try to use the Bible to justify their divorce because, well, now we're unequally yoked. Notice this chapter three, verse one. Our text this morning, Peter does not say his prescription for you in that difficult situation is not lose the sinner. It's. Win the sinner. You see it? Verses 1 and 2 are all about, if you're taking notes, if you're taking an outline, write down these words. Winning without words. Winning without words. We're not called to lose the guy or the girl. We're called to win without words. Verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be one by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You guys, again, remember the context. This is just continuing to spin out this idea of winsome evangelism. This means, look, that, that hopeless case that you never thought, oh, no, there's no way for him. This says, no, there's hope. But it might, you maybe have been approaching it the wrong way. See, Peter says here, and if, you, if we're going to back up and I'm going to show you, In other places, earlier places, look, evangelism so much of the time is not so much about conversation, but conduct. In these verses and before, he says, look, it's not so much about lip service, it's about lifestyle. Matter of fact, do that. Go to chapter 2, verse 12. And you'll see where we got started on this uh, ball rolling down a hill. (laughs) Verse 2, look at 12. Or chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conduct, there's that word again, honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. If you're not convinced yet, look at verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. They're like, oh, you have met my husband. The idea is, it's not about your words It's about your good works. See, Peter is saying the exact same thing, just a different uh, audience, but the exact same thing to verse one. Um, Look, ladies, if your unbelieving or backslidden husband does not obey the word, if he's proven that he's completely unaffected by the word, if he's proven that he refuses to listen to the word, word, guess what? Don't use words. Use works. Don't use conversation. Use conduct. Matter of fact, again, uh, this whole reading together with me thing is coming back to bite you. Read the word conduct with me. Uh, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. He's saying, look, Try as you might, words aren't going to work. I mean, they haven't worked for this long. It's not going to work. So really, when you look at it, I think this is just really good practical advice. Thinking, you know, from my own perspective, knowing me, knowing most guys like me, just a cursory knowledge, ladies, of your husband should show you this. Words don't work. Nagging doesn't work. I mean, you can't even get us to take out the trash that way. <laughs> Let alone surrender our life to Jesus. That's not your fault. That's, that's talking about us. Words don't work. Look, if you're a Christian spouse trying to win over your spouse and you want a strategy, Peter gives it here to you. Less talking, more walking. Less lips more lifestyle. See, let me give you a, a few examples of that, that won't work. You may be, might be tempted to them, but they won't work. Wives, don't, for, for your unbelieving husband, don't pray loudly at the dinner table. Lord, thank you for this meal and please save my heathen dog husband from the wrath that is to come. <laughs> I heard it said that some men may welcome hell as a relief. <laughs> We're going to talk about again. I watched this video and was reminded again. Men and women are different. Men, we don't we don't even like to hear ourselves talk. We don't talk as much. Okay, sorry, that's kind of not in every case, but in a lot of, a lot of cases. Imagine this then. Honey, honey, you need to come to church with me. I want you to be saved. I want you to be in heaven with me. I want to to spend eternity to be with you, so we can talk just like we are now.
1: <laughs>
0: we'll be together always. Won't that be great? The words don't always work. They very rarely work. Matter of fact, I find that what's what's successful is when you live it out and you let someone from the outside come and use the words. So another example, maybe don't put tracks in your husband's lunch every single day. Right? Not so much conversation, but conversion. Not constant nagging, but conduct. Not subversion. We learned that earlier, but submission, not by your words, but by your walk. This is the best way I can think of it to say it. Not by the challenge from you, but the change in you. I know you've heard this. You're the only gospel that many people will read. How much more true is that in your home? Here's the thing. I think if we, if we do it well, if we do it right. Words will be necessary. But again, we come back to that idea. They won't be cold calls. It will be. Huh? What's what's going on with you? I talked with somebody just last night uh, who in this case, it was the husband who was saved before the wife He's like there was three months where I kind of made her life crazy because she's like, who are you and what have you done with my bad husband and replaced him with this guy? Right. See, words will be necessary but not until you live it out before them. So the idea, this first idea is a beautiful thing. It's winning without words. Look at verse two. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. The word chaste there means beautiful, clean, pure. And, and the word accompanied means coupled with. Uh, coupled with, and when it says fear there, it means respect. So the, the way I'm looking at verse two is it's a one-two punch. Right? You live a pure Clean life. But that's not enough. Let me give you an example. Let's say you you said, like, I'm living a righteous life and I don't care what my stupid husband thinks. If you live a pure, clean life, but you call him a fool, you show him no respect. That's not winsome. But Peter said, look, if you live a clean life and you couple that with respect, if you speak well of him, if you let him know that because You believe in a God who establishes order. You are going to be behind him in every single situation that you can, unless it comes to a a point where he asks you to directly disobey your true master. If you let him know that's the way you're going to live your life, and he knows that you're in his corner, a guy will notice that. Um, See the word observe there? When they observe your chase conduct accompanied by fear. It means to look upon attentively, to watch. It means more than just a a small glance, but to really focus upon. Think, uh, wives, think football on New Year's Day. Right? Again, guys, we may not be able to multitask, but we can focus. That's one thing that we're pretty good at. Over time, I think Peter's saying look, you will have his attention. And inside his head, though he won't say it because he's not big on words, though he won't say it, he'll be thinking this. You mean Christianity can give me a wife that's easier to live with? Well, That's cool. Maybe I'll check that out. See, and once again, if you've been with us, you know, God takes the long view. <laughs> he takes the long and very thorough view. Not the short route, but the long view. So, Peter here is challenging all of us, again, not just the ladies, all of us to be winsome, to win without words. Okay, next. Peter now goes from winning without words to beauty without fading. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Look at the time. This this whole section is just really fun.
1: <laughs>
0: some some people preach this verse as a strict rule. They say, "Look, it's pretty clear. Women should not fix up their hair, they shouldn't wear jewelry, they shouldn't wear nice clothes, and they shouldn't wear makeup." And the the way that they come to that conclusion is you see the word merely, if you have that uh italicized. That means it wasn't in the original Greek. So they say, look, it says, do not let your adornment be outward arranging the hair wearing gold. Um, here's the thing. If you take that approach, then you also need to be consistent and take out that word fine. You see that? That's also in italics. So then it would read, do not let your adornment be outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on apparel. So Peter saying, don't wear clothes. See. Peter is not prohibiting wives to wear clothes or to do any of these things. We really honestly need to read verses 3 and 4 together, and I think you'll get the big picture. Look at it. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Do you see that the huge, bigger picture that's still plenty convicting? Ladies, where's your beauty coming from? Is it inner beauty or merely outer beauty? Peter says, look, there's two kinds. There's inward and there's outward beauty. There's outward beauty, uh, hairstyles, jewelry, high fashion. Today, Peter didn't have it then, but today we would add liposuction, cosmetic surgery, fitness, makeup. All those things, there's all those things, outward beauty, and then there's inward beauty. And what he says is, do not let your adornment be merely outward. The word adornment, do you see it? I love this, it's it's the word cosmos, as in the magazine cosmos, it's the place we get the word cosmetic, right? I love this, It, it, it means the apt and harmonious arrangement, like the cosmos, right? It means order as opposed to chaos. Do the math there. Cosmetics then bring order from chaos.
1: Just saying. (laughs) Listen,
0: I think I speak for most men. Nobody's asking you to give up all the makeup. (laughs) I I said that in the first service and one guy goes, amen. Amen. OK, really, here's, here's the point. Here's Peter's point. Where does your beauty really come from? Is it something that you put on to look becoming? Or is it something you are becoming? You see the difference? Is it something you have to paint on or, or put on or pay somebody for? Is it a facade? an outward thing to make you look becoming, or is it something you are becoming? Does it come from a jewelry box, a high-end retailer? All the husband said, preach it on, brother. <laughs> Does it come from a jar or a salon or a surgery? Is it something you have to add on for your outward appearance, or is it more the real you, the real beautiful thing, that you are becoming. Is it something deeper? Look at verse 3 again. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be, it says, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle, that, that's mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, meekness, and it says, and quiet. And that actually means tranquil. Okay? Uh, and tranquil spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Again, I honestly don't think Peter is saying, "Look, don't don't uh, (laughs) don't do your best to make yourself look good." Okay, but he's saying, "Look, there's there's a, a beauty without fading. There's a beauty that's not affected by aging. There's inner beauty that's real beauty that is," he says, "incorruptible." You know what that means? Not liable for. Decay or corruption in contrast to outward beauty, which I try to think, you know, as I'm doing today, digging myself a hole. Try to think of the rudest way to say it. Look, outward beauty is a sinking ship. Right? It's a losing battle. Every single time it's a losing battle. Did you guys know I used to look like Brad Pitt? Not really. I was told when I was in junior high that I looked like Robert Redford. Have you seen Robert Redford lately? That's my point. Beauty is a losing battle. You wait long enough, you will not win. But and, and I don't know how to put it into words. And that it's because it's such a, an intangible thing, a hidden thing in the heart but there's something attractive there's something winsome about someone who's just adorned with jesus and it doesn't fade this is where you know it can be very convicting don't raise your hand but which do you spend more time on your outward beauty or your inner beauty Ladies, when people leave you, do they say, wow, what jewelry, or what a wardrobe, or what a hairdo, or do they say, wow, she's been with Jesus. There's an incorruptible beauty that is hard to describe, but everybody gets. They understand it. That's incorruptible beauty without fading. Again, I can tell you, just as a normal, average guy, I've even explained this when I was back in, in Orlando, was, uh, teaching the, the high schoolers, and, and even the high schoolers got it. It's like, you, you know, where like, you, you meet somebody, and you're like, you're not particularly attracted to them physically, but you're like, you just want to be around them. You like them. That's what it is. It's that incorruptible beauty that comes because they know Jesus, and much more importantly. And this is huge. Much more importantly than what any man or woman would think of you in your attractiveness is what God thinks of you. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, which is very precious in the sight of God. The word precious uh, means to uh, is costly, very expensive, requiring very great outlay, excellent, of surpassing value. That's a reminder to me, and I hope to all of us, look, winsome behavior, this thing we keep, we keep talking about, I just feel like I need to warn you over and over again. It's not immediately effective. It's not something that that people are just necessarily maybe sometimes, but not usually. The first time you're nice to someone, they're not going to be like, where do you go to church? I got to go there. (laughs) Right. Who's this Jesus? I got to meet him. Usually it's like, huh? And they observe and they watch for a little bit. And then they watch you again. It's 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 a long process. Winsome behavior is not immediately precious in the sight of your unbelieving husband or your friend or your boss or your neighbor. It grows with age. It grows as you are becoming. Right? But, this is the beautiful thing. Lest you be discouraged, notice it is immediately precious in God's sight to your audience of one. Right? It's immediately valuable to Him. It's immediately beautiful to Him. So, Peter so far then has meddled um, preached about winning without words and about beauty without fading. And now he gives us an example. Look at verse five. He says, for in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. We're going to see a specific example here, but I want to show you before we go any further. You see that word, that phrase trusted in God, the holy women. He says, look, what made them beautiful was that they trusted in God. They adorned themselves with submission, which proved that they trusted in God. Um, here's my point. The thing, whether it's, it's men or women, whether it's employees to employers, whether it's uh, citizens uh, beneath a king that they don't agree with, the thing that is so beautiful about submission, so winsome that you can't put a finger on is this. It shows trust in God. It shows tranquility. Even in the midst of chaos, that's cosmos, right? It shows order in the midst of chaos, which is a beautiful thing. Tranquility in the midst of chaos is an awesome, beautiful thing to behold. Remember When Jesus, remember the picture of Jesus sleeping in the boat when it's going crazy that the the waves are, the the, the disciples are are up above and they're like, what's going on? They look down and they say, Jesus, sleep, tranquil, right at peace. Remember the other time when in the same uh, same type of storm, they're freaking out, they're completely losing it. And Jesus just comes walking by on the way, and it says that he almost would have uh, would have missed him. It's like he's like, oh hey, how you doing? There's something beautiful about that. The idea that in the midst of the worst circumstances, yeah, I'm pretty much kind of in control. I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm from from his perspective. Then I'm in touch with the living God, right? That is that idea of cosmos, bringing order out of chaos, right? See, all of it, all of that kind of thing, cries, praise to those people who are willing to listen. There is a God, and I trust him. And I know that he's going to work this out. So that's, that's where Peter's going now in verse 6, as he gives us a specific example of a gorgeous wife who was tranquil, Submissive and therefore showed that she was trusting God. Look at it. Verse 6 As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And of course, that's what Lisa calls me, Lord. No. <laughs> I figure once I said that when I get home, she'll be calling me some other things. <laughs> to call a person Lord. And that culture back then was one more sign of submission. It was what they did. OK, again, don't don't miss the point here that submission is, again, shown more by action. Right. Than necessarily words. Look at verse six as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. It's, it's hard until I'm hopefully I'll explain it well enough. What he's saying is you can be gorgeous just like Sarah was you're like i don't get it well write these uh two chapters down and read them this is homework you hardly ever get homework at church but here you go genesis chapter 12 and genesis 20 i could read all of it for you but i'm just going to try to relay the story as best i can but i think it'll be really valuable to you if you'll you'll read it yourself genesis 12 and genesis 20 see maybe you are saying Let me back up and point something out. Verse 1, and this is important to mention. You see where it says, wives, be submissive to your own husband? That's another thing that you can notice. Look, he's not saying, ladies, women, be submissive to men. No, he's saying, you be submissive. That is helpful, uh, quiet in in the context of not beating him over the head with, with things that aren't necessary. All those things. You do that, he says, to your own husband. And the word own there is idios.
1: That one's for free.
0: Here's where I'm going with this. I'm sure there may be someone in the room. Maybe a wife who's like, okay, I'm, I'm tracked with you so far. I get it. I understand that submission is beautiful. It is redeeming. That That's, that's a good thing. That it's winsome. But Pastor Doug, you don't understand. My husband truly is an idios. It, if if I do what you're telling me to do and follow him, we will wind up off a cliff. I mean, that's how that's how it is. If I follow him the way he disobeys the word, we will be like a... Like Wiley Coyote when he runs off and then finds himself. Right? I hope this will help you. Again, read Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. Here's what you're going to find as as quickly as I I can uh, surmise it. Peter must be referring to a time when Abraham was an idios. When he very clearly did not obey the word of God. Do you guys remember it? Genesis 12 is when. Uh, Abraham, a famine strikes, Abraham freaks out, OK? And he says, we got to go down to Egypt. Where's the one place God doesn't want them? Egypt. Abraham, the leader, right? He's the father of the faith. He says to his wife, oh, we're freaking out. We're, 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 we're going to go hungry. Let's go down to Egypt. And the problem is that A, that Sarah, one of the problems is from Abraham's perspective, is that Sarah happens to be gorgeous. The, the scripture is actually quite clear about that, that she was beautiful, beautiful. Um, uh, Let me read to you. This is a Jewish legend. This was this gives you reference as to why Peter would would bring up. Hey, be like Sarah. A Jewish legend uh, says when Abram went into Egypt, he tried to hide Sarai in a casket. Okay, this is extra biblical. This isn't true. But this is one of the legends that they they uh, they kind of spun out through history. Uh, The legend goes when the Egyptian customs officials asked what he had in the casket, he said barley. No, they said They said they said it contains wheat. Very well. He said, I'll pay the custom on wheat. Then the officer said it contained pepper. Abram said he would pay the custom charges on pepper. Then the officer said, well, it must contain gold. Abram said he would pay the custom charges on gold. You see, he keeps going, okay, whatever I got to do not to open up this, this casket, right? Then the officer said it contained precious stones. Abram said he would pay the custom charges on precious stones. By this time, the officers insisted on opening the casket. When they did, all of Egypt shined with the beauty of Sarai. That's how the the legend had it, right? And the, these same legends apparently said that in comparison to Sarai, all other women looked like monkeys.
1: <laughs>
0: That's what it says. says so she was even more beautiful than Eve. And apparently that was quite a feat. That's just to give you an idea of how beautiful Sarai was, right? According to the legend. So, Abram has a problem. He's freaking out. It's like... All the world's in famine. Uh, I'm, I know God said not to go to Egypt, but look, we got to eat, right? we got to do something. Here, let's go to Egypt. But there's this problem. You, Sarah, are gorgeous. If the Egyptians know that you're my wife, I know what they're going to do. They're going to kill me, and they're going to take you for themselves. And Abram, the father of our faith, <laughs> has this brilliant idea. I got it. Let's you and me tell them that you're my sister. Ladies, put yourself in that spot. Wouldn't you be more tempted to say, I got an idea? (laughs)
1: Let's
0: say that you're my ex husband. (laughs) It's it's not a great plan. To make it a really long story short, though, she didn't. She didn't freak. He was freaking out, but she didn't. She submitted to this, possibly the worst of all ideas. And she trusted. Listen, and this is huge. That since God is holding Abraham accountable for for the, the workings on in the family. And that since God told her that her job was to submit, that if she will, that somehow God will work it out. Well. Do you know that God worked it out? Despite Abram's stupidity, disobedience to the word. God worked it out. He went and tormented Pharaoh in his dreams, said, if you lay one hand on her. Right. So what happens is, girl goes, I didn't know. I didn't know. And she gives back without ever laying a hand on her, gives back. Sarai to Abram, and because he's freaked out because God has visited him, he's like, Oh, here, take all this treasure too. So, Sarai, in her obedience, not only was protected by God, but also there's now wealth coming into the family, and it certainly wasn't Abram's doing, right? Do you see? And, oh, and I didn't mention this. You know how old Sarah was when she went into that harem? Temporarily? Safely, but temporarily? 60 years old. Okay, that's beauty that does not fade. God came to her rescue, preserved her purity. God plagued Pharaoh with dreams and threats, gave her all of all this reward, okay? Here's the thing that's Genesis twelve. If you want extra credit at home, read Genesis twenty. You know what you'll find? He did it again. What an idios. He goes, he goes and with King Abimelech says, hey, it worked so great last time. (laughs) And, And she and she submits. And the same result, no credit to him. He ends up always being shamed because the king goes, oh, here's your sister. He ends up looking like a fool, but she ends up redeeming the situation through her submission. You get it? Oh, and did you know how old she was the second time? Ninety years old. That's beauty. that does not fade. Inner beauty. Okay. Verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. That's how they made them beautiful, themselves beautiful. Being submissive to their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any cherry, If you don't freak out. Okay. So, we've seen... Winning without words for the wives, right? We've seen beauty without fading for the wives. Oh, look, look at the time. We don't have any time for the
1: husbands. (laughs) All right. Okay.
0: Verse seven. Husbands, Peter says something to you, too. Likewise, this is your this is what I'm telling you in the midst of persecution, in the midst of difficult circumstances. I'm telling you how to be leading Without lording over. Winning without words, beauty without fading and leading without lording over. Look at verse seven. Husbands, likewise, there's yours. You have a job. And again, it's in the context of winsome behavior, of submissive behavior. Right. Likewise, dwell with them. Dwell with your wives. It says with understanding. The word understanding is gnosis. Gnosis. It means knowledge by experience. Husbands, we are commanded to dwell with our wives according to the knowledge that we have of them. It doesn't mean according to our great biblical knowledge. It means according to what we know about them, what we've observed, how over the years we've like, you know what? This is um, this is typically not a good week for her. What, what do I need to do? to make her life easier? How can I serve her to make things easier? Now, you know, again, this is this lesson is all about me getting myself in hot water, so here goes. <laughs> Ladies, one of the reasons I think that, that verse 7 is all the men get, besides the fact that we have very little attention span, right? Got to focus. One of the reasons is Understanding you is a lifetime job. I mean, here, here.
1: do you
0: have the car ready? (laughs) Um, um, Seriously, guys, guys are simple. Guys are like the things we like, the things that. We do that the way we think is simple. Girls are not so much. Look at at a, a girl's, look at a girl's, a single girl's apartment. You'll find beauty, art, maybe fashion, inspiration, doilies, whatever those are. Look at a guy's apartment. You'll find a crate and a TV set. Right? And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit funny, but what I'm saying is it's a lifetime job, but it's one that we are called to. And it's because you are interesting in a good way. You know what I'm saying? It's because there is more to you than there is to us as far as understanding. Okay? And here's the thing. Jesus commands through Peter here. Guys, that's your job. It might be difficult. It might change from week to week. It might change on a week from hour to hour. But it's your job. We are commanded to live with them, dwell with our wives. It says, according to our knowledge of them. We're commanded then, do the math, that means to get to know our wives. And you know what that means, guys? Talking. And listening. And taking your Eyes from the computer to your wife, because, you know, you can't multitask. That's that's what where Peter's going here. He says, dwell with them according to knowledge, according to your understanding of them. And then it says giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Oh, man. Peter just makes it easier and easier for me, doesn't he?
1: <laughs>
0: I, I think he's just talking about physical strength. Now, again, that's not in every single case. Right. But just on average, it's kind of true. I mean, you could go out and back and have a tug of war for the guys and the girls. Right. Just physical strength. It just happens to be true. But again, when you when you preload these verses with our cultural perspective, we start to equate strength with uh, value. It's not in there. Think good China versus Tupperware. Right? Strength and value are not the same. So he says, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Where it says honor there, that's exactly where where Peter's going. It means value. A a price that is fixed on something. He says, give them value. And, And the word giving there is distribute to dispense. I was like, oh, well, there's a practical application right there. To distribute how much you value her to everyone who will listen, but also directly to her, guys. In other words, don't hoard your the value that you have for her from her. Say things like, I love you. I value you. You are awesome at this. You're the greatest at this. I'm so thankful that God gave me you. Say things that dispense the value that you have for her. Don't be like, and you probably heard it, the guy who 20 years into his marriage, he says, look, I told you I loved you the day we got married. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) That's the way that's kind of the way we think, but we're not allowed to think and to, to behave that way. He says, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And then, this is where it really gets good. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs, and guys, underline that word, together. Together. What's that mean? Team. Okay, guys, we can understand that, right? Team. We get team. That means one for all and all for one. Right? That means... It doesn't matter if I lose or win the Heisman as long as my team wins, right? Now, hopefully we're getting it being heirs together of the grace of life. Peter is saying to the husband, and this is an isolated uh, text, but there's all through the, through the Bible, you start to get the picture. Once you start paying attention, the guys are called to to be the leaders, the ones who are proactive in making the marriage work and making it a beautiful thing. Peter is saying, here, guys, man up. Take the lead, but without lording it over. Peter's saying to the men, look, you be the one to say, let's pray about that. You be the one to pray for your spouse. You, you be the one to say, because of your knowledge of her and the situation, you'd be the one to say, hey, why don't you, I know it's been rough, why don't you let me watch the kids, you, get, get some sanity time. You'd be the one that is proactive in making the marriage work. He says, because, yes, you are the leader, but you are heirs together. You are the coach, so act like it, but any good coach knows team is only as good as its weakest player or its injured player. It's its player that's hurting, right? As a leader, you are the one who's responsible for the health and the well-being of every player on your team that you might achieve the goal. Um, Just in case you think Peter um, is on a tangent, he's a lone ranger, turn to Matthew chapter 20. I think this, again, I think it's uh, meant to be doesn't give the guys a lot of directives, gives a few simple things and says, look, you pay attention to this. Look at Matthew 20, verse 24. Uh, I'll get you up to speed. James and and John uh, had their mom go to Jesus and say, hey, we want the best seats in the uh, in the house. Come the the new kingdom. Can we be on your right and your left hand? Right. Uh, The plan fails miserably. And worse yet, the other guys find out about it. Right. Look at verse 24, Matthew 20:24. 20, and when the ten other disciples heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. OK, probably because they hadn't thought of it first. Verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you see it? Leaders of your homes. Leadership comes in service. Real biblical leadership always looks like a servant. That's why Jesus said to his disciples who were at that moment fighting about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He got up, he put on a towel, started washing feet. That got their attention. What, what's our Lord and Master washing our feet for? Well, this is what leadership looks like. Okay? Turn with me. Last little bit. Matthew chapter... Or excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. It's like, Give honor to the as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then look. The last phrase. That your prayers may not be hindered. Again, since we're doing all the stereotypes... Can't you tell that Peter's talking to men here? He goes right to the bottom line and goes right into a threat. That's what guys respond to, right? Look, guys, if, if you're looking for the bottom line, if you're thinking, you're sitting there listening and going, look, why should I lead without lording over? Why should I dwell with her according to my knowledge of her? Why should I lead the team? Why do I have to talk? Why do I have to listen Well, Peter says, you have to listen so that God will listen to you. Wow. Okay. Here's the bottom line. He says that your prayers may not be hindered. If you want to put it in more threatening man like terms. God says, look, don't come to me. If you haven't got that. Working, And I don't know. I hope you are in this place. I, I am in this place um, regularly. What I mean is this. I truly find this to be true. If, if something's not right between me and Lisa, I can't serve. I can't function. I can't go to sleep. It's like it's just powerless. It's just goofy. So it's I'm miserable. So I'm like, well, let's just I'll just go and I'll I'll say, I'm sorry, if that's what I need, or I'll say we need to talk more about this, whatever it is. God says, don't come to me unless you're willing to be like minded with me. And the way I think you can find in Philippians two, Jesus, who was equal with God, became a servant. You get it. It's like if you and me want to communicate, God says, guys, think the way I think. See it from my perspective, which is leadership comes through service. OK, that's pretty much all. Look at verse eight, though. This, uh, we're going to uh, exposit that more next time because it's, it, it, it's one of those great transitions that applies both to this, this part and to the next part. So I'll just read it. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Do you see it? Over and over again, God says, if you just do what I say, don't worry about what they're doing. If you do what I say, I'll bless you. Amazing. Amazing. That he's so thorough. This is winsome evangelism right in your very own home. It's good stuff. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we're not worthy to be in your presence. But not only have you made us uh, that way. Lord, you have redeemed us. You've made us clean. Lord, you've, uh, you allow us uh, into your holy throne room because of your goodness and your graciousness. But more than that, you're willing to teach us. But Lord, you do. Uh, You're a a great teacher and you call us to to action. And not just to, uh, not to just thoughts or words or pleasant uh, ideas. Help us, Lord. We've been honored to hear from you. Help us, Lord, now to put it into practice in Jesus' name. Amen.